Golf Programming. And just glad you joined us this morning with a little funk music for the walk-up. It gets me in the mood to preach. And it's been a full year, and you survived Pastor Scott for a full year. I'd like to have a heartfelt moment. And when we put piano music underneath anything, it's heartfelt now. I would seriously, in all seriousness, I would say thank you to so many people, specifically the staff at E3, the worship volunteers this morning and every single Sunday, and all of you, even from our coffee workers to our nursery volunteers to literally everyone who makes this possible, heartfelt thank you with piano music lying underneath because it makes it heartfelt then, okay? In all seriousness, this is what we call our strategic Sunday, our strategic Sunday this morning, um, that there is no Bible jeopardy. We're not going to get into a specific book in the Bible. I know. I heard the awe, and I feel you, friend. Bible jeopardy makes my sermon so much better. But we're going to get into strategy and, and, and really not get into Scripture per se, even though obviously the entire Bible will be referenced as we go through this sermon. Uh, last year at this time in the strategic Sunday, I introduced this concept of the centered set versus the bounded set. Most churches and most groups in general will focus on that left side, the bounded set, where they say, hey, we're a part of this group, and they use terms like members, that you can come inside this group and you're identified as a part of this group. And in reality, what I've challenged Ether to become is more of a centered set church, that none of us, whether you're the pastor or whether you're the person who never has heard the name of Jesus Christ before, you're the, you're the biggest sinner of all sinners. All of us have a relationship around Jesus as the identification, and all of us are either heading toward him or moving further away. Now, for those who have attended over the past year, this image has come up about 25 times, give or take. And we're going to move past this image now, but it usually takes about a full year to get into our DNA, a new concept, a new strategy that the church is going to employ. And so for this morning and this year, we're going to go a slightly different route as I've understood who you are and understand what Tallahassee and the entire world needs in this year of 2022. This will impact us as we head into next week's new sermon series that I'm super excited about. It's called Shadow Boxing. And Shadow Boxing is going to be finding our emotional health in very raw and personal ways. I'd invite you to come back next week and more on that in a moment. It's going to be a completely different church service than anyone of you has ever gone through. And if that's not enough, next week is the holiest of all holy holidays. I'm pronouncing next week will be Donut Sunday. Some of you are laughing, and this is a somber moment. This is serious. Free donuts at church is what dreams are made of. I can't, I can't, I can't help but smiling. <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a kid growing up in church, our church that I grew up in, they would have donuts almost every single Sunday, and that was a highlight of my existence, okay? We're going to have tables full of donuts. They may be all similar. I don't know yet. There may be a couple cream-filled. If you get here early enough, you might get one of those the rare old-fashioned donuts. Oh, mamma mia. Donut Sunday next week. Please come back. And with that, maybe share with someone around you as we get into the introduction time. Will I be back next week? And also share the answer to this question on the chat as well. Which business and which businesses are you most loyal to? Are you big, li hey, is it the big ones like Amazon or Walmart? Is there a loyalty that I will choose those over smaller businesses? 
Or do you like the year old place down the street versus the, the manufacturer McDonald's that has the same kind of thing every single time? Think about that. Look to someone you maybe not met before. Take 30 seconds, 40 seconds, introduce yourself, say welcome to E3, and share your answer to this question on the screens. Ready, set, go. All right, extroverts, the introverts have said it's enough. Sorry, find your seat. As you're finding your seat, if you're, if you're a transformer, raise your hand, if your transformer name would be Amazon Prime. <laughs> Those extroverts are still talking over me. They have no idea what's going on. Oh, they're raising their hands. I'll raise my hand too. I'm an extrovert, okay? Here's, here's, here's the point. Every organization has an underlying culture to it that breeds a loyalty because of that institutional culture. We're going to get into that in just a second. But they, this culture fosters loyalty for one of three reasons. And every organization also has a mission statement, whether written down and said or unsaid. E3's mission statement is to, anybody know? Well done. First row right in the front, right? My, my high, high achievers who work here. I don't work here. E3, E3's mission is to make disciples. And that's what we talked about last year at this time. We do it through three different kind of visions in which we do worship. We do connection through growth groups. And we do it through? That was so unenthusiastic. Service. Service to those online. They said it with such joy in their faces. Here's the point. That underlying all of those, there is a cultural fabric that kind of keeps us all together. E3 has a compelling and ambiguous vision, but it's simple and, and again, ambiguous mission. But E3 also fits this interaction of the three different cultural fabrics that hold an organization together. We're going to use what we call a Venn diagram, and more on that in a moment. But the first one of these, as we go through them one at a time, is efficiency. Is efficiency the cultural makeup that goes underneath the institution? Places like Walmart... Places like McDonald's, they operate in this mindset. I love that no matter where I am in the country, I can guarantee that the cheeseburger at McDonald's tastes the same in California as it does in Florida. And that's a comfort sometimes, right? You don't know what you will get if you go to a place that doesn't have an efficiency mindset. More on that in a moment. But the idea of efficiency means you're getting the same type of service, the same exact interactions across the entire country, across the entire world, and they thrive on that. The second type of cultural mindset is innovation. Innovation is companies like Apple, like Tesla. They want something new, and if it's something that's old, and it comes out and they try and repackage it, it's a, it's a fail for those companies. They need newness and new innovation always in their cultural mindset. The last one is intimacy. Intimacy. 
You don't want, if you're going to get a suit tailored, you need a tailor who has this mindset that they want to get to know you and be able to touch you. If you want the efficiency, you're going to go to a, a big box store and just kick something off the rack. You don't care how it fits. There's cultural mindsets of intimacy. They're in numerous different jobs and different companies throughout the world. Now, I want to talk about the center for a moment. All three of these intersect at what we call the center of the Venn diagram, and companies always want to get to the center of this because if you do all three, three things right, you're going to be unstoppable, right? If you're both innovative, you have intimacy, and you're efficient, you will be an unstoppable company. But this is the center of deception. I want to talk a little bit about a place called Starbucks. Okay, just waiting for, for anybody has, has to get that out of their, their system for real quick. Starbucks believed that they wanted to get to the center of this circle. Starbucks started out in the West Coast, and the stories were that people would walk into a Starbucks in Seattle, they would have the exact right change, because back in those days people used cash. They would set it on the counter, and the barista knew them so well they had their drink prepared exactly the way they wanted it. It was an intimacy company. But Starbucks grew. And they grew, 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 and they decided that they needed to become innovative. So they started selling CDs, because that goes with coffee. They started having food. They started having all these new ideas of which you can have interactions. They also wanted to be efficient, so they had Starbucks in every single street corner in the country. You, you laugh, but it's true. They became everything to everyone to monopolize the coffee industry. And you know what happened? They failed. In the early 2000s, they started shutting down numerous coffee shops across the country. And a new CEO came in and he said, we've lost our cultural way. We're trying to be the center and be all to everyone. And in fact, we need to go back to our roots. And you know what he did? He shut down every single Starbucks across the country and he had mandatory training time to teach the baristas how to make a good cup of coffee. And since then, mid-2000s, Starbucks has been a competitor and been relatively healthy as a coffee provider. And we all need coffee, amen? Each church has a culture that fits inside one of these three circles as well. Churches operate in these same type of roles. You have churches whose the culture it is to create seeker-friendly experiences so that you want to come back to the concert and community and feel that you are in. These aren't necessarily megachurches either. These can be efficient in generational discipleship to make sure that your family never goes away. You're going to be exact same experience every single week. Some of you, if you had the exact same experience every single week at church, that would be maddening, right? But there's a comfort in the exact same liturgy that your great-grandmother said that your great-grandchild will say. There's a comfort to that. That's the efficiency mindset. They aren't focused people's needs, but rather the institution of the church has the greater need. I had a member of a church that I once served as leading a large-scale initiative of change, and this was an efficiency-minded church. And I'm giving anonymity because many of those people attend online with us. Hi. <laughs> they pulled me aside, this person, and were extremely angry. And in a conversation, they said, can you please not change our church so much by bringing in so many young people? <laughs> you young people ruin our church. These young people were changing the dynamic, the, the overall fabric of the church itself. But God was doing this change. I was happy facilitating it, leading it. And in one sense, efficiency churches must survive because they survive. 
The mission statements of the churches usually talk about numeric strengths, have strong metrics, and they're usually driven by larger structures like denominations if they have any mission statements at all. Now, the second category of churches that we've already talked about are the innovative churches. These strive on being the coolest, hippest, and newest churches in every facet. 24-karat magic in the air. <laughs> Some of you don't know what that is. That's okay. Oh, look out! The rest of the sermon is me singing. Okay, they will only have, they have things like contemporary music openers. <gasps> That's what we had this morning. It was so good, by the way. They will have smoke machines. I love smoke machines. Okay, nobody else does. And they'll have cool terminology for places like the sanctuary or a liturgy. Technology, style, resources, and a core of thought leaders normally around these churches until the vision fades or the leader leaves or there isn't a new leading edge of technology to lead from. See, these churches usually are copied in one facet or another soon enough that there are going to be copycats of the innovators because they are successful. Sound kind of familiar? The liability of innovative churches is that contemporary culture can usurp biblical integrity. Success, breeding success in the name of success is the innovation key driver. There are also key moments where the ideas can't hold up to new innovation. The challenge we're seeing with technology today is there is a limit to how fast those processors can hold until a new processor is made. And so there's just no new innovation that can continually be bred. Lastly, we find the intimacy churches. These churches pride themselves on knowing all the good gossip from every family member before it comes out in the general public. <laughs> Awkward. But seriously, these churches take pride in relationship in small groups, in long-standing loyalty. They will welcome you in the long haul, and not just the short game, as the other categories tend to do. See, the intimacy churches want to know all about you. All about you. But the challenge with intimacy churches is that they become cliquish. They think about themselves versus the orphan, the widow, or maybe the refugee. Each of these three circles have brought biblical support from a variety of books. But my question this morning this is to us is, where is E3? The irony is that E3 has been the, <laughs> the Starbucks church in one season or another. All things for all people. I'm not going to ask for an amen. But let's take into context the consideration Tallahassee and the world in 2022. In 2021, I had no idea what the community of Tallahassee needed, to be totally honest. I felt God nudge me, push me, scream at me to share the centered set idea. Wise counsel was like, yes, absolutely. And I've seen embracing of that idea that Jesus is at the center of all we do and not some sort of unidentifiable, broad category that you're in the club or outside the club. No. In 2022, a year in, I see a city that has broad, unsaid segregation, economic barriers that are subtle but very real. Obviously, we have rampant inflation in every single category of our lives. We have homelessness that's going to be worse and worse and worse from this, and a world that is torn apart on stupid and very selfish political lines. Moreover, we have had isolation in numerous factors over the past two to three years that are still affecting numerous people who have health concerns, who are just generally scared to come out into the world. 
The pandemic has showed the need for community, while at the same time, when all of us lost our community, our purpose in work at times, family members due to death or paranoia, instead of growing due to the world trauma in America particularly more connected, we became more divisive, more fragmented, and generally we became bigger jerks to one another. Even if you didn't hire me, I'm so glad you did, even if you didn't hire me, I believe God would have called and was already calling E3 into the intimacy circle. I'm just calling out in the open. And I think what drew me to E3 among other possibilities was that you were hungry for transforming an authentic relationship. It's out on the wall in the lobby as you leave. Authentic relationship. But what I'm saying is that strategically and theologically, we must broaden our timing of those transformations through innovation into long-standing relationship. Now, please don't critique my wonderful PowerPoint picture on the screen right now. There are some of you who are saying, Pastor Scott, that star should be a little bit further down or up because of this reason, that reason. Just bear with me. E3 has been in the innovation circle for almost its entirety of existence. Not only there, because you have to have aspects of other things, but that's been the driving underlying culture. What I'm asking is for us to consider moving to here. Again, please don't critique my star, okay? <laughs> you can have a company and a culture that oversects and intersects at those lines, but the point of it is, is that I'm asking us to take a huge strategic leap and changing the underlying culture of our church. And again, I already think it's been happening and no one's just called out in the open. Scripture stresses all three of these cultures, but verses that deal with intimacy hit my spiritual need now more than ever before. See, friends, Jesus always touches the unclean. Paul embraces the outcast. God redeems those seen as unredeemable. What is remarkable is that in almost, no, not almost, in every church mentioned in the Bible, goes through seasons of doubt, of worry, and anxiety. Paul never writes and says, yep, you got it. You figured out how to be Jesus' perfect representation in the world. Even in Philippians, we see that Paul had moments of this, this beautiful Pauline sarcasm. Like you think you're so holy, but you're not quite there yet. Paul operates in this centered set idea, and Paul constantly asks for intimacy among all believers, regardless of the ways in which we divide ourselves up. Regardless of the way we divide ourselves up. Paul frequently condemns churches for lax theology, not believing in Jesus, for exalting Paul himself to a level of Christ. The, the Apostle John writes to numerous churches, even in Revelation, that none of them were quite good enough. Peter, James do the same thing. And yes, this is kind of lazy Bible work, but just generally, the entirety of the Bible says that none of us are quite there. Moreover, none, no church is quite there. We must not get comfortable as Americans that we are ever doing church right. Just as we must shrewdly consider the companies we are loyal to with some sense of logic. Even this morning before practice, we were calling out the companies that somehow have offended us in one way or another. And it doesn't matter if it's right or left. You have to understand that certain companies, certain organizations, even mom and pop stores, there's a point where you say, I'm not coming back here. My loyalty has been tested. This applies to politics, political leaders, and religion and religious leaders. 
we must be willing to make a change at times. Well, my hope is over the next year that E3 would own the shift that's already occurring because of what's happening in the world, but what God is doing here in this place. Churches generally can't do this numerous times over their life cycle, but I believe now is the time to embrace the change that is already happening and the Spirit is breathing into us, friends. The point is this, that intimacy is going to have to trump innovation. This cultural shift may mean prioritizing relationship over lasers and smoke machines, individual needs over efficiency guide paths. Identifying this shift means that the uncomfortable process of reprioritizing are limited opportunities for ministry. Because we have limitations. We can't be all things to every person. Our amazing staff is already doing this without even me calling this out in the open. Next week, as an example of this, we will not have corporate worship as we had this morning. It's going to be digging in and shadow boxing ourselves and taking a really maybe awful look at my own individual goals and priorities and mission statement. At least I'm bringing you donuts. <laughs> We're getting a little too serious there. You're starting to get uncomfortable. Comfort eating those donuts. They're going to be good donuts. Don't worry. I can't, I can't give any, 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 okay. I'm, I'm getting back on track here. Instead of looking for those who join us who are already on their path with Jesus, I see numerous times that we're willing to engage those who have zero relationship with Jesus in order to initiate and intimate a change in their testimony. What do I mean by that? I don't like playing church shuffle the members game. That if you hear a church is closing, okay, let's see if we can get them to come over to our church. Or let's see if we can get already established believers in this place because they're already tithing. No. What I wanted to do is see people who have no relationship with the church or such a horrific relationship with the church invited in intimacy that we can see over the long haul of 40 and 50 and 60 years. That's a long time. I'm not going to be around that long. But Jesus is. those sitting in the seats right now, we're not doing this work for ourselves or our own benefit. We're doing it for the benefit of a testimony of the kids down in E3 Kids. And amazingly, I hope they all have kids someday. And two, three, four generations down the road, we will see this intimacy shift have eternal benefits. There are so many in growth groups right now who are in this category, and I love it. We don't need any vetting process to embrace intimacy. Moreover, our service priority is personal. There's nothing against this at all. Many churches will send some sort of their funds or overseas groups or in, in, in town groups, and that's fine. But it's better to personally support, relate, and engage with the people who we serve on a day-to-day -day basis. And man, I just fell into the lottery here because we're already doing that so well what is cool is that when we do that we are served as well even in our building mission initiatives with one mission i'm reminded to prioritize spaces for relationship and community over efficiency or innovation and thanks to my very patient wife carissa who's helped us guide us through all of that she's hiding in the back secondly we must analyze our own cultural need from church 
Do we need to find the latest and greatest tech advance? The efficiency of knowing the discipleship path plotted for every single individual? Or are you comfortable in the centered set mindset and walking alongside every single person who has vastly different needs, maddeningly different needs, with inclusivity, with openness, and desire to hear stories in their relationship? And here's the fun part. And you're going to say, well, duh. But the best way to do this is in growth groups. So join a growth group. They are not intimidating at all. They are a wonderful way to hear people's stories in intimacy and to understand what makes people click. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful community of people who go much more in-depth than I can do on Sunday morning. I love people shouting out stuff at me, talking about Donut Kingdom or something over there. I don't know. I love that. But in a growth group, you actually get to have more airtime than the pastor does. You get to share things that are bothering you because that pastor is so ADD, he's talking about Donut Kingdom in the sermon. What a weird guy. Somebody get him some sort of attention-getting device, you know? Some of you are laughing. Left side, you get me. Right side, we just wonder, what in the world is this guy talking about? A growth group is a place for both the sides of the room to intersect, to com- communicate, and to share each other's testimonies. And if you can't find a growth group, that fits your needs or meets on a time, well, then guess what? Lead a growth group. How subtle is that? If you're not in a growth group, maybe you should lead one. All you need is a PhD in Bible study. (laughs) Really, what I should have said is facilitate a growth group. Because growth group leaders do not have spiritual authority in matters. You're not going to marry or bury anybody, I hope, in your growth group time. If you do, we need to talk. In seriousness, lead and facilitate a growth group. Pastor Mike writes these beautiful questions and, and, they, and they just take you through this journey of, of, of understanding what it means to be a human in 2022. Wouldn't that be a great gift to our world? We should send these questions to every single person in the human race because that's what we need right now, some connectivity. The goal of mine in 22 to 23 is we see four to five new growth groups started here at E3 with 40 people, because that's a biblical number and I just had to write a number down, all together in these new growth groups, or in existing growth groups as well, that we basically see our growth group potential nearly doubled than what it is right now. Worship and service are also intimacy, cultural shaping pathways, but growth groups have a remarkable higher opportunity to do this than the other two. That's where we're going to lean into in 2022 to 2023. Okay, church? In this move into intimacy, I want you to ask you one more thing in addition to reprioritizing and analyze what your needs are from the church. And this may be the most difficult ask this morning that we'll get us into next week. Are you ready? Are you willing to be raw? Culture says, circle the wagons. I'm asking us to go out and hug someone. Most of us would like my Sunday experience to be predictable, to have a sense of holiness about it, that it inspires me for the week to think differently about my life. And these things can still be the case. They should have inspiring worship. We still have innovation in our worship. We still should have some idea, though, that what I'm asking and envisioning this morning for Element 3 is to be a place where I'll be transformed because I am known by someone else. First-time guests... I'm sorry this is a little bold and brash, but, but that's what you're heading into. Second time guests, you probably already get the sense already. 
that I can be encouraged in my darkest moment, challenged when I'm sinfully engaging in pride and prejudice that I cannot see, and I want you to be raw and vulnerable with me to show the world that there's an alternative to isolated and distinct, sheltered and comfortable. What we're going to do here now just does this so well. It's communion. Christ comes in and he says, I'm going to be so intimate with you that I want you to actually ingest me. That's some intimacy. But think about this just for a moment. I mean, it's, it's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants in his final moments. He can set up whatever precedent that churches for his entirety of existence of human race will do from here on out. And he chooses to do something so intimate that he actually becomes inside of you. Now, E3 does not believe that we're actually eating the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, but there's something beautiful that happens when the Holy Spirit and you touch this bread and this juice, and it comes inside of you in such a way that it's so intimate and so raw that you can say, I have Christ living inside of me, fueling me, taking me into the next days, weeks, years, decades, however long I have on this earth that Jesus is here. And it's with that seriousness that I want to take this next season of song and season of E3 Church. They were going to be a church of intimacy and a church that embraces and even ingests our Lord and Savior and can't help but let him live inside of me and transform me from the inside out. In a moment, pray over the elements, and we'll call you up. And there's three different stations set up here at the front. We invite you to come up to take the bread, take the cup, and then find your seat and hold them until the song is over. We'll take all the elements together at one time. We use gluten-free bread. In the cups, there's juicy juice, I believe. And it is an awesome opportunity to take this moment while the song starts playing, to come up when you feel led, to take the elements, and then to reflect upon the intimacy and the rawness you're willing to show in your life as we head into a season of holy intimacy. With that, let's pray over the elements. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this opportunity we have to reflect and draw upon this idea, this notion that we are being transformed in the inside out. And this transformation occurs moment by moment, but also lifetime of work. And God, I pray that we would meaningfully ask for that intimacy to reside and preside over this time of communion, that over this bread and over this cup, your very presence dwells, and may it dwell inside of us. In your name, we pray over the elements and bless them to the hands that receive it. In your name, we pray. Amen. The table is open.